So how many of you guys know who Carmen is? The Christian singer? Oh, there's a few of you. All right, well, let me break it down for those of you who don't know. So bear in mind that I was a missionary child, a child of missionaries, okay? So my musical experiences were limited, shall we say? So Carmen, when I was growing up, was a single 30-year-old Christian rapper who was Italian. And (laughs) I was like, oh, Jesus, he's beautiful. And he's 30 and single, and I'm 15 and single, so clearly this is meant to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was, like, all about it. Um, But I've only really had two musical crushes in my life, and Carmen is one of them. The other one is Jason Mraz. (sighs) Yeah, do I have some other, like, Jason people out there? Okay, good, good. Yeah, I love him. Like, love him, it's a problem. Um, but also a beautiful thing. So my husband took me up to Boston a couple of years ago for my birthday, and it was a two-day music festival, and he was the headlining show. And so I was going to be able to, like, see Jason and be, like, so close to him. You guys, I parked myself, because he, you know, headliner, last, last one of the night. I parked myself at the front of that stage, and I stayed there all day in the sun through all of the terrible bands that went before him. And I was, like, probably, like, like me to Hannah away from Jason, and I was like, this is, this is everything that I've ever wanted and dreamed of. And then, you guys, it got better. Because he was singing and doing his thing and doing his shtick. And then he walked across the stage to that side and pulled somebody up from that side of the crowd. And I was like, oh, he's coming this way. And he started to, like, look at us. And I was, like, front row, you guys. So I was, like, looking at him. And he was looking at me. And we made eye contact. And I was like, yes. And then, and then I choked, you guys. I looked down. Yes, I did. Thank you. I know. I I can't even talk about it. I have to, but I don't want to. So you guys, he picked the girl right next to me, right next to me to go up on stage. And then he got down on his knees and serenaded her. I know. I'm still not over it, obviously. Um, I really need to continue to stalk him so that we can have our moment because he missed our moment. It's my fault, so I'm going to make it right. You know what I'm saying? Um, But here's the reason that I choked. When I was locking eyes with him, these are the thoughts that were flashing across my brain. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I don't know what my makeup looks like. I don't know what my hair looks like. I don't like my outfit. What if I have to get on stage? And I looked down, and in that moment when I let my insecurities take my focus off of what I was looking at, I lost the opportunity. Doesn't that suck? Gosh, sometimes I hate being a woman. Love it. Hate it. Um, so I know I'm not alone in this room with, with you guys. Um, the reason that we're going through I Am this summer and that we did it before is because as women, this is like the constant battle. It's the constant struggle. We all deal with insecurity at one level or another. And I've heard in conversation after conversation things like this. I don't believe I'm good enough. I don't think God loves me. I mean, I know he loves me, but I don't feel like he loves me. I don't think there's anything special. I don't think I can do anything amazing with my life. I hear you guys talk about how fear keeps you from moving into something because you're afraid of failure. And I hear about anxiety a lot. And then I look at social media, as we all do, And we compete with each other in social media, don't we, guys? Like, competition in the social media life is real. Whatever it is, whether it's a relational thing, like we look at our friend who's like in a relationship and we want to be in one, 
or we look at the mom who lives next door to us, and she's got it all together, and her kids are beautiful, and her page is glorious, and her house is clean, and we're, like, over here trying to, like, make it to dinner, which is going to be peanut butter and jelly, you know? And so we, like, tend to, without even realizing it, resent our friend on social media that we're looking at, and we're like, why can't I be there? Or why can't I be there? Or why don't I have that? Their life is so easy. And we compare ourselves, and we end up feeling like failures because we're comparing all the time to what may or may not be a true representation on social media of what real life actually is. So it's all lies. It's lies straight from hell. (coughs) Satan loves that he's kept women captive in these lies for so many years. And he loves to keep us in fake competitions with each other because it keeps our focus off of what we should be looking at and onto the things that we think are wrong with us. And it keeps us from moving forward into who God has created us to be. The number one thing that men struggle with is pornography. And the number one thing that women struggle with is insecurity. Those are the two big things for each gender. So does someone have their book? I forgot to bring mine up here with me. Can I borrow it? I want to read you guys a little bit of the introduction. That's like my super personal letter to y'all. Because this is a real day in my life. So I want to read a little bit of it to you. (coughs) It says, I woke up one morning and checked Facebook as usual. I know it's a problem. Does anyone else do that? Like the first thing you do when you wake up? Yeah, thanks. Let's just be real. Okay, I do it. I'm going to admit. And right away, I saw something that made me feel jealous over a friendship. From there, I went to work. I used to be a photographer, a wedding photographer. And I was calling my pictures from a photo shoot, answering messages, and saw something from another photographer online that made me feel uncreative and low in my job. And then I got an email from my husband, who didn't mean it this way, but I felt like I had failed him as a wife. And this week I got a text from someone I serve with that made me feel pushed aside and unimportant. So I've been waiting in this kind of insecurity that I'm an uninteresting friend, I'm a bad wife, I'm a mediocre, uncreative artist, I'm not a good business person, I'm ineffective in my spiritual gifts. And another friend this week was telling me about her insecurities. We all have them. And they can be really powerful. And they can rule us if we let them. And if I was to sit in front of you and tell you the truth, I would tell you that I think about myself all of the time. That's where I want to stop. Because that sentence is really important, guys. And that's where we're going to kind of keep our first thing that we pull out and our attention on. That line, if I was to sit in front of you, I would tell you that I think about myself all of the time. Because we're our own best companion. We can't get away from ourselves. And so whether we like it or not, because we are ourselves, we're always going to be focused and looking at and thinking about how things affect us and where we are and what we feel. And we constantly evaluate our bodies, our outfits, our choices, our performances, our relationships. We measure ourselves against standards, trying to find one that's going to tell us that we have achieved enough worth and value whatever those standards are and wherever they come from. They could be internal, they could be external. We're always trying to find out if we're enough, or at least enough for that day. So when we fail and we don't reach enough, the thoughts and emotions afterwards can cause us to sink into the background, to withdraw. (coughs) We retract our statements, we walk away from a challenge. We retreat to depression or to despair or to what we would call spiritual and emotional death. We compare ourselves 
we covet what other people have, and we compete with each other. Because we have no solid idea of who we are in Christ, we flounder around grasping for something to make us feel like we're okay. Insecurity has become our identity as women. And we have become, we are, we haven't become, we are scared little girls hiding behind the faces of grown women. So this is not the plan of God for us, obviously. God intends for us to live abundant lives. He desires for us to change the world and bring glory to his name. He wants us to be bondage breakers and seed sowers and grace givers. In his plan, we're women whose eyes are filled with joy and our hands are filled with strength and our mouths speak life to each other and over ourselves. So that only happens one way. We have to find out who we are in Christ. I need to find out again who I am in Christ and all of us together need to do it. So I'm going to pray and then I'm just going to like open up my life to you guys, which is going to be so great. Let's just lean into that. So let me pray. God, um, I told the girls at my table that I have so much nervous energy tonight, and that's still true, um, but I love sitting in this room and looking around at faces I know and faces I don't. And God, I don't want this talk to be about me. I want it to be about you. God, the mistakes I've made and the places I've gone and the things that you've taught me, Lord, let them be useful. Um, We need to figure out who we are in you, and we need to hold on to it with everything we have. So Jesus, will you start to bring understanding tonight? I ask that in your name. Amen. Okay, so I told you guys that I am a child of missionaries, and that came with a lot of things in my life. Um, Some of it was mission barrels, which if you don't know what mission barrels are, that is a place that churches used to have that had, like, used clothing. And I got most of my clothing in my childhood from mission barrels, which meant that I looked a hot mess for most of my childhood. I wish I had pictures to show you, but I'm glad I forgot to do that because they're pretty bad. I also had a mullet for much of my childhood, and that I blame 100% on my mother. She thought it was so cute to cut my hair short in the front, perm it, and let the rest be straight in the back. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and I rocked that into, like, eighth grade. Why? I don't know. No one helped me. I had no friends, obviously. (laughs) And so I was, like, this awkward, like, shy, terribly dressed, had no idea how to, like, look cute or fit in. And um, in South America, that was fine, because they were just like, what's that weird gringa? She's, you know, whatever. (laughs) And they just let it go. But in the States, when we would come back to visit the churches that supported my parents, you guys, it wasn't fun. I was the kid who didn't fit in. Um, They call children of... um, missionaries or children of diplomats or children who live in multiple cultures in their childhood, third culture children, third culture kids, because it's like you create your own culture. So you take something from your parents' home culture and you take something from the culture you mostly grew up in and you kind of put the two together and then you have trouble figuring out where you fit. Um, I, I was trying to figure out how to like explain it to you guys and the best way that I can explain it is like, imagine if you wake up, you wake up in a hospital and you have amnesia, and there's people around your bed, and someone is telling you, these people are your family. They love you. This is where you belong, and they're talking, but everything they're saying is like an inside joke, or they're talking about memories that you don't understand. Um, they're, they're loving you, and they're, 
they say they have emotional connection with you, but you're like, I've never seen you before in my life. This is weird. So they know what the family jokes mean and what the nicknames are. And returning to the country that your parents are from as a third culture kid feels like that. That everybody around you has like the inside jokes and they all know what is going on and they're referencing things that have happened and um, you're supposed to feel like it's home. People tell you this is your home, but it feels like you have no idea what's going on. So kids I grew up around reacted in two ways. Either they went back to the culture that we grew up in and, and lived there and be kind of assimilated into that culture, or they did what I did, which is kind of figure out how I can make it all work for me and just kind of live in that place um, in a new culture. But I remember more than anything else in those years when we were here in the States was that I wanted to belong. But I was like gripped by fear the whole time. I wanted to belong, but I didn't know how to belong and I didn't want to be made fun of, so I retreated. I was super quiet. Oh my gosh, you guys. I was so quiet. You would have thought I was, there's something wrong with me. Like, people would ask my parents, why doesn't she talk? In fact, my mom, <laughs> this is poor decision making on her part, but she put me on a stage at a church one time to sing, and I just stood there quietly, not saying a word. I didn't sing. I just was like, and so she took me back off, and we never did that again. <laughs> so it worked for me, but it was awkward for her. My walls were way up, and I didn't want to interact with anyone to protect myself and my heart. And I've seen that same burning loneliness and need to belong in other places as I've traveled and just met people. Um, I've been to Nicaragua several times, and street kids running around third world have that same kind of, like, walls up um, look about them. I've seen it in young girls in our city from disadvantaged homes. I've met foster kids that have grown up in the system and feel that way. They have that desire to belong, and that lack of security causes a certain way of thinking. And tonight, we're going to call that the orphan mentality. So for the orphan, there is a few things that happen. And on your, um, on your notes, there says characteristics of the orphan. We're going to list them under there. In the orphan mentality, there's a lack of safety. You don't feel safe. And that looks like no one is looking out for me, so I have to look out for me, and I'm not going to trust. So walls go up. The orphan is self-dependent, independent, defensive, and angry. The orphan is also very needy. They know they have a lot of needs, but they don't know how to meet them. They're mistrustful, and they're competitive. So they want to make sure what they have is theirs, and then they may also want what someone next to them has. So let's be clear. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we are absolutely in the orphan category. It's just, it just is what it is. That's the truth that Scripture says. And um, I want to read to you guys a verse on the top of your sheet out of Galatians 5. And it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. So we're talking about the orphan mentality. And I think that we are in church, so maybe you would agree with me that, um, that people who don't have relationship with God feel like orphans. And I think it's easy to say, like, yeah, totally, street kids absolutely are looking out for number one. That makes sense. 
or maybe kids in the foster system are super needy and super mistrustful because of the system they've been thrown into. So it's a little more difficult to admit sometimes that we can belong to Jesus and still live and operate in an orphan mentality. Because it's easy to like look at them and be like, yeah, them. But it's a little bit more difficult to look at us, to look at me and say, this is how I'm thinking and this is how I'm living as a Christ follower. So here's some examples that I want to give you. A Christ follower has jealousy or envy of someone else's spiritual gifting. They believe the lie that what God has given me personally is not as good as what God has given somebody else. Or it could look like an inability to accept correction, especially from someone that we trust and love because you're so defensive. You're not able to hear, this is for your good. Or it's a lot of need expressed in looking for approval and worth in every possible place and every possible person except God and who he says you are. And so here's my question. Like, why would we belong to Jesus and know the things that he says are true and then not live them out and not function in them? I think it's because we do not trust and we do not know the security of belonging to a good father. So we know about him, but we don't know him. Does that make sense? I literally hate looking across the room and seeing faces of blankness. Like, the more conference was hard for me, you guys, because that's all you get. I was like, hello, out there. So tonight, we're going to um, interact a little bit. Um, can I get, Sarah, would you help me move this up? Thanks, friend. You're the best. So on your sheet, this is, there's a couple of verses there. Um, and what I want you to do is I want you to read through them. I'm going to give you five minutes at your table. I want you to read through the verses. Um, and then I want you to look for in those verses the characteristics of the beloved child, which you see there's a little bit of a, a thing at the bottom of your notes. So go ahead, talk amongst yourselves, and then I'm going to have you call them out to me. We're going to go through them together. So I'm going to give you five minutes. everything out that is okay we're going to do it together we are going to collaborate guys we're going to collaborate so can anyone give me one characteristic out of the scriptures that you read what fearless yes what was that redeemed yep adopted what does adopted mean y'all Chosen. What else does it mean? Belong. Belong. Who said that? Yes. Belonging. Do you guys see some themes here? What else? Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. What else? Free. Free. Do we have one more in us? What? Fear, what? An heir. I thought, I, you guys, I legit thought you were saying hair. And I was so confused. Yes, but the bald ones are also welcome. <laughs> An heir. Okay. Can you guys see over there? Is that better? Okay. 
Okay, yes. So you guys can see some themes. There are some direct opposites, right, to what we wrote down about the characteristics of the orphan. And so I want to take us back to that first John passage. And the verse, um, it's the first verse. It says, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So in your, um, you guys have a box right next to your characteristics of the orphan. I want you to write in there that fear, and write it small, fear equals punishment in your orphan box. We're going to go back to the beloved in a minute. Fear equals punishment. So what does that say to you guys? It's that what I do determines how I am treated. Does that make sense? So what I do as an orphan in that mentality determines how I'm treated by God and by other people. So this is a behavioral thing. So in big letters, I want you to write behavior. And if I spell it wrong, spell it right. (laughs) There you go. Behavior. Okay? So if your heart, and we're going to go back to the beloved now for a second. If your heart, and I'm jumping around, so I apologize. If your heart and life are given to Christ— you have received an intimate family relationship with God. Because what does Galatians say? God sent his spirit into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic word. You guys may or may not have heard this before. Abba is an Aramaic word. It means daddy. It's their intimate word. It's not their word for father. It's not their word for parent. It's not their word for male figure of authority. It's their word for daddy. You only call someone daddy if you have a very intimate, loving relationship with them. So let's just like soak that in for a second, guys. The scripture is saying that we have the right to call God the one who created the universe, the one who has a plan for our lives, the one who will judge everything at the end of it all. We have the right to call that person daddy. So what does that mean for us as the beloved? It means we belong. It means that God views us as his intimately favored daughters. And it means that that is accomplished and it is done. It's done. There's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that I can do to change what is already accomplished if we belong to Christ. It is not changeable. It is not revocable. For those of you guys who are parents and who have kids in this room, think about your kids. Or for those of you who don't have kids, think about your parents. Do you have a right to go to your mom and dad for your need and desires? Do you have a right as a mother, or do you desire as a a mother, for your children to come to you with their needs and desires? Are you planning to provide for them? That very human relationship is a very small reflection of the way that God feels about you guys and about me. Because he says so. And this relationship with God is not based on our behavior. Being a child is a state of being, not an action that we can do or undo. So our daddy's affection is secure. So we go back to that passage in First John, and it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So fear equals punishment which is behavioral. Love, 
this is your box next to the characteristics of the child. Love equals, what did I say? Abba's child. This is a state of being. You are your parent's child, whether you like it or not, whether they like it or not. Your children are your children. That is a state of being. So if behavior means that what I do determines how I'm treated, a state of being is what I am determines how I'm treated by God. Does that make sense? So if you're living in an orphan mentality, you think as you approach God that what you do is going to determine how he treats you. If you're living in a loving, I'm Abba's child relationship with God, because you are his child, who you are determines how God views you and how he treats you. Okay, and we're going to look back at verse 19 in that first John passage. This is really important. It says, we love because he first loved us. So I want you guys to draw a box around the word because. Because we have a really hard time because we're human beings and we all operate and what we do determines how we're treated. We just do. We need to really grasp and understand that we love God because he first loved us. It's all dependent on him. Our relationship with God is not dependent on us. We did not seek him out. He sought us first. Okay? So... He created the family relationship, and he sustains it. My mistakes and my sin cannot undo it. It cannot change it. I don't have to fear my daddy. So it's a perspective change. So when I believe that my father is good and has good in mind in all the things in my life, even the pain that I walk through has purpose. And for me, as I think back to those moments of intense loneliness as a child and the places growing up where I felt like I would never fit in anywhere, it was part of the experience of being a missionary's kid in MK, which gave me a wide worldview. It gave me fluency in Spanish. And now, almost 30, maybe almost 40? No, let's say 30. Maybe 30 years later, I am able, gifted, privileged with leading an outreach to Nicaragua and a partnership there with our church here that I could only do because of where I grew up and what I learned as I was growing up. So God, my good father, ordained my life as a child for the ministry that he prepared for me now. So he is a good father, and every pain that we go through has purpose, even when we don't see it in the moment. We live in a tension we do, where we think we still have to care for ourselves and look out for our own best interests. And that gets us in trouble most of the time. Or it keeps us from what the best could be. I don't have to defend myself because my daddy defends me. I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to provide for myself. And I'm not afraid because my dad is the biggest dad on the block. I can call on him. And there is no need for competition between siblings because we're all loved equally. My place is not threatened by your place in the, in the body of Christ. So because my father perfectly loves, I love, I'm not afraid that he's going to like you guys better than he likes me. 
so my insecurities are free to fall away. So your box at the bottom of your notes, we're going to put there behavior slash orphan. Let me draw this out. You guys are so welcome for my unorganizedness tonight. (laughs) And my awesome boxes. Okay, so we're going to put orphan, behavior, and here we're going to put child, being. And what was the thing, you guys, that we said is the bridge that takes us from one to another? A relationship with Jesus. What was the word that we boxed? Because. Mm -hmm. Because is the bridge that takes us from one place to the other. There is no way we can go from orphan to child without God loving us first. And we have to go back to that reason because if we forget that we belong to him because of him, then we're going to live here as women who belong to him. And the enemy is going to have a really easy time of lying to us and saying, you do belong here because we think this because is gone and now I have to work hard to get over there again. And we forget he maintains it. So we say here that scripture is truth, right? And we always hold it up and come under its authority. So what we're looking at tonight is truth. The word of God is the word of God, and this is what the word of God says. And we have to take time to acknowledge the enemy does a really good job of keeping us at war with each other and trapped in our insecurities. And the orphan mentality has had a really strong hold on all of us, you guys. I've lived in it before. I live in it sometimes now, and God has to, like, remind me, this is who I am. So it's time, and I want to challenge you guys tonight to just consider where you are, because there's two groups in this room. There's the ones who belong to Jesus and are belonging to him. You could be brand new. You could be years into your relationship with him. Where are you living right now? What's your brain saying to you? What's the enemy saying to you? What are you operating out of? The second group is the one who's never stepped into a relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to make very clear what that is. A relationship with Jesus is not going to church for your whole life. A relationship with Jesus is not believing the right things up here. A relationship with Jesus is when we're talking about the family relationship and the adoption. And that's when we say, because you gave me everything, I surrender myself to you and give you everything. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a belief system or a lifestyle or I've always been a Christian my whole life. No one has ever been a Christian their whole life except for Jesus because he was Christ. (laughs) So there has to be a moment of because moving and belief into the child. Okay? So here's the question. Where are you at tonight? Are you here in this box or are you here in this box? If you're here in this box, celebrate it, guys. Talk about it. Talk about why and how. If you're living here, there's no shame in this room. We love you as you are, and we want you to feel free to talk about where you are because God wants you to be here, and we're all in this together.
Okay, so I'm going to give you guys 20, 30 minutes because it's our first night. So we're going to have a long talk time. Um, so table leaders, go ahead and do CPR, and then we're going to dive in. <laughs>